Everything looks all right? Okay. All right. Well, hello, Rick Boya. We are here at uh, the Hive Studios, and this is Philippi Conversations podcast number I don't know because I didn't look, but something <laughs> but like you 12. Can put it in later. <laughs> yeah, something like 12 or something. And we do this from time to time, and it's an opportunity to kind of sit down and have a conversation and be able to share that with our church and anyone else that might you know, tune in. And so I am here with Pastor Rick Boya, and probably most folks in the Valley know you, but in case they don't, um, Rick is the founding pastor and the lead pastor of Trail Christian Fellowship, mm -hmm. which when I say that, usually people go, where's... Where's that? Where's yeah. trail, right? And you guys aren't even really technically in trail. You, you Not anymore. You we started there and then had to buy property. And right. so we moved down the road into the other side of Shady Cove. Actually. Totally. But it's impossible to miss the church when you're driving out. If you're going to Bend or whatever, you're going to see it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Rick, you started that church in 1990, I believe. 1980. 1980. January of 1980. January 1980. Okay. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you are also the head of the theological department. Is that the correct At title? Pacific Bible. At Pacific yeah, Bible College. Yeah. Yes. Bible and theology. Yeah. Bible and theology, which is a treasure trove in our valley that most people don't know about. And uh, we have a one of our members is going to be going there this next term, which is great. Cool. Super exciting. And Rick, you are a you're a pastor to pastors in this valley. Whether you realize it or not, people uh, call you and ask you questions uh, because you've done it and you've been there and you're accessible, which I appreciate that. And for me personally, whether you realize it or not, you've been a massive influence and uh, you've been very formative for me in theology and preaching. I used to drive out and be part of your preaching cohort and mm. Yep. learned a lot of what I do in exposition from you and listening to you do it. So thank you for your work. Well, I'm and, honored. Uh, I'm yeah. Honored. Yeah. So I'm excited to share you with, with our church. And, uh, and the reason that we're doing this <clears throat> kind of how this fits is I want to talk about church seasons and I want to talk about, because here we are, Philippi is two years old mm -hmm. and uh, trail is 40 41 going on 42. Yeah. So just about to hit your midlife crisis we uh, are. <laughs> and, and we're just, you know, trying to learn how to be potty trained as a church, yeah. you know, we're still going <laughs> in, the, in the diapers. Um, so you have a church that is, you know, 40 so years in a church that's two years in both started fresh, both sort of new works, mm -hmm. new church plants to use that language. And, um, I thought it would be interesting to talk about what we should expect and things that maybe we can learn from the 40 plus years that you guys have learned as being a family uh, through all these years. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what the material is going to center around. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to, to guide, kind of get into it. My first question is uh, maybe just give us a snapshot uh, into how Trail started and maybe tell us that story, um, get us up to speed, and then we can talk about kind of what the next 40 years looked like after it began. Well, our church started like so many churches do uh, as a home Bible study in the little community of Trail. <clears throat> at the time, I was pastoring in Southern California at Calvary Chapel. I was working for Chuck Smith. I was one of the pastors there in the late 70s. And uh, got a call that there was perhaps a need in Little Trail, Oregon. Had Back before the internet, I had to get out two or three maps before I found <laughs> one that had Trail on it. You didn't just type it in your smartphone? Uh, no, not in those <laughs> days. And... Um, contacted the folks that uh, were meeting, and they were uh, driving over to Applegate in those days. John and I go way, way back. And um, he's the one who called me and said, it's a group of people up here that might want to start a church. And Guy Gray, who was pastoring what in those days was known as uh, Medford Christian Fellowship, 
also a good friend of mine. And a uh, guy was driving out doing a Bible study out there. And so we heard about the need. And we uh, had, I and my wife, had thought about starting a church somewhere. That was the ethos in those days in the Calvary Chapel movement was church planting. Mm. And uh, so one thing led to another. We did not go to the other location, which was up north further, and uh, met and made a connection with the folks here came and did one Bible study. They said, we would love to start something. Not, nobody really, I think, knew exactly what they were getting into. Um, least of all me. I think I was 26. <laughs> and uh, you, didn't but, know, you didn't know everything at 26? <laughs> <clears throat> um, but anyway, we came up in January of 1980 and brought our two little girls. One was one and one was three and moved into a little cabin in Shady Cove and started meeting in the living room in trail. And then um, more people came. And so we started meeting in a school in trail, Elk Trail School in those days. We started doing baptisms. And that first summer baptized, you know, five or 10 people. And slowly but surely, um, we just saw the growth of the of the church, it just began to grow. Now, this was in 1980, mm -hmm. and I think we were one of two or three churches in this valley who did contemporary worship. And we didn't do that as a strategy. We did it because it was natural to us. It's just what we did. Mm -hmm. But the result was it drew people who were unchurched, mm. and and that was a good thing. There were many unchurched folks, a lot of out-of-work out hippies uh, in 1980. <clears throat> <clears throat> Interest rates were at sixteen percent. Uh, there was quite a little recession happening. Wow! Uh, economically, uh, if you'd asked anybody, that's not a good time to start something. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, like when COVID hits, maybe like totally. COVID there hit, you like go. Six months after we started, <laughs> but you know the power of the gospel. And I tell young guys, and you know this, I've, we've talked about this, but you don't really plant a church. You plant the gospel, and a church grows around it, mm. and. That's all we did. We didn't have a huge, big strategy. We believe the Bible. We believe the gospel. We trust Jesus. And that's basically what we did. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. And it's been 40 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, God has been good. And, and you're actually coming into sort of the transition period now out of, out of that role yeah. at this point. right? I'm going to be transitioning out of the lead role. I'll be emeritus, mm -hmm. what they call emeritus right. pastor. Um, and transitioning the lead role to Travis Connick, who's mm -hmm. been with us for years. Mm -hmm. um, good, solid expositor, good pastor. I'm very confident of this new leadership team. We've been praying for 10 years as elders yeah. for, the, for the Lord to raise up a young generation of mm -hmm. leaders for this church, and I am very pleased with all of that. I think yeah. the Lord has really answered that. So, yeah, yeah I'm going to be, over this following year, they're going to be seeing less of me. It's a three-year process. Mm -hmm. This is the third year of a three-year process. The folks, and we've explained it to everybody, mm -hmm. and the folks will be seeing a little bit less of me and more of Travis over this year. Right, yeah. No, I appreciate the intentionality that you guys are, are doing there. I think that's rare. You know, a lot of times it's kind of like, see you later. A lot of credit goes to Trav. He wrote a paper yeah. on the subject, and oh. we got together on it, and I really <clears> liked what he had to say, <clears> and our elders did too. <clears> and so, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, when you look back over the, the 40 years and you reflect, which I'm sure you often do, um, what, what would you say would be uh, a season that stands out? Because I'd, I'd like to talk about seasons in, in church okay. life. Mm -hmm. A season that stands out as being uh, particularly sweet 
and then maybe the other side of that coin would be a, t- a season that was particularly difficult uh, and maybe some some reflections on those <clears throat> seasons. Okay. I can't talk about all the difficulties because I don't want uh, certain kinds of things to be on the air. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, yeah. the most difficult yeah. things are oftentimes in uh, behind the scenes. Yeah. I'm, I'm not throwing anybody under any buses here. Sure. On the other hand, um, I would say, let me start with the difficult. Sounds good. Uh, at least within that parameter. Um, probably the hardest time was the first five years. Uh, because we didn't have two dimes to rub together, um, we, I almost quit at least three times, um, prayed seriously about it, said, Lord, do you want me somewhere else? Because we were, we exhausted all of our savings. Um, some folks from Southern Cal were helping to support us. But it was very, very, very difficult. Now, it's funny because a lot of the folks that are still part of the body after 40 years and who got saved that first year, and I remember baptizing them and all that, (laughs) and they said those were just wonderful days. And I appreciate their perspective. (laughs) But for me, those were very hard times uh, because I never knew what, I didn't know what the Lord was going to do. I just kind of kept my nose to the grindstone. Mm. And, uh, And slowly it became obvious, no, this is a good, this is a place to stay. Look at the spiritual fruit that's going on mm. and don't think about the money first. Mm-hmm. Think about the spiritual fruit. Mm-hmm. And the Lord did supply. Miraculous. It was amazing. Mm. So those, that was probably one of the more difficult times. And then, of course, this COVID thing at the other yeah. end of our yeah. career. Nice sandwich of difficulty. Huh? Very difficult. <laughs> uh, and yet again, God's been very, very faithful. Um, and our body, the church itself, has been supportive and, I think, healthy mm-hmm. uh, through this. And not just physically, but I mean spiritually healthy through it. But a difficult time for leaders, uh, for pastors, as you know. Yeah. Uh, so those would be the difficult ones. Um, the sweet ones, of course, are the baptisms, uh, the times when you finish a service and you look out and you see people ministering to one another. That's one of the things I look for in health in a church mm. is not just how many people might show up, but how many people stay to pray for one another afterwards. Mm. You know, the kind of uh, fruit that's around the edges mm-hmm. of a larger event. Those times are very, very sweet for me. Um, uh, I think one of the sweetest things for me is the development that, that I've observed through the years. The Lord has brought to us really excellent leaders, people who are good, solid, quality Christians, and watching them minister to one another. Mm. And, um, and looking now at another generation, guys in their late 30s and, and early 40s, who are stepping in and doing really good ministry Mm -hmm. uh that's very sweet to me Mm -hmm. those kinds of things really encourage me yeah yeah absolutely if you could go back and 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 have a chat this is a question you've probably been asked before if you could go back and have a chat with with 26 year old rick (laughs) you know who's just starting this church and i don't know if i could have told him anything he probably (laughs) thought he knew it all just assuming he would listen to you (laughs) yeah right uh what would be some of the things you would say hey buddy you know just just think about this um, probably the same thing that I tell young guys that are starting churches today. Keep the main thing the main thing. Don't pay a lot of attention to what else is going on in the body of Christ, uh, except to learn um, 
except to learn to keep the main thing, the main thing. In other words, there's an enormous amount of pressure on pastors to do all kinds of different things and to be all kinds of different things for people. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of it is media driven and sociologically driven. And as a young guy, um, even though the media was not as widespread as it is now, because the internet wasn't there, um, there was pressure and I'm, I was constantly asking myself, am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I being effective? And I was always begging God to explain to me more and more about how to be a good pastor. So I recommend that guys keep their mind on their, on their church, mm. on the power of the gospel, and keep the vision simple. Mm. Keep it simple, Christ-centered, biblically-centered, um, rather than getting out into a lot of the fads that uh, churches fall into in every generation there's certain yeah. fads um i think that would probably be the most important thing keep the main thing the main thing stick with biblical exposition and christ-centered biblical exposition and um let trust the providence of god in the use mm -hmm. of those things mm -hmm. in order to let people grow because i remember being terribly worried that people weren't growing or that the church wouldn't flourish I remember coming in on Sunday mornings sometimes and wondering if there'd be any cars in the parking lot, you know. <laughs> I've had that thought. Oh, yeah. It's a, <laughs> a terrible feeling, you know. And so my advice to myself back then would be don't sweat that too much. Yeah. Uh, you know, really, yeah. God knows what he's doing in people's lives. Keep the main thing the main thing. Mm. Minister to the people there, not yeah. the people that aren't there. Yes. And, uh, yeah. and keep it simple. Yeah. Keep it simple, stupid. Right? Mm, amen. <laughs> Yeah, that's good, Rick. Um, one of the things I admire about Trail, just looking from the outside, I'm sure you guys have all kinds of problems, uh, like we all do, mm -hmm. right? But looking from the outside, um, <clears throat> I know we do. <clears throat> you know, I see longevity. I see people that have been out there for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And I see uh, that particularly within your leadership. And I think that's cool. Um, I forget his name. Was it, was it Chris? Chris White. Yeah, Chris. I just thought it was so cool. One day I was out there and somebody told me, oh, yeah, Chris has worked. Maybe it was you that told me, like, yeah, Chris and I worked here since the beginning, you know, together yeah. or whatever. I like that's was so our first hire. I that's think, so rare. Mm -hmm. It's so rare. Most churches, particularly larger churches, like mm -hmm. you guys, like they have so much turnover, you know, yes. and people kind of uh, they come, they go, they look for something better, they get mm -hmm. mistreated, you know, whatever. You've been listening to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast. It's like I have. how many dead bodies under the buses of some of these bigger churches. And I just thought it was particularly interesting that you guys seem to have that longevity. And uh, and I'm just curious if you could speak to some of the ingredients that create a culture of leadership, a culture of retention, a culture of, of health where people want to stay and, and, and continue to grow and thrive in a particular church as opposed to moving on or, or leaving bitter or whatever. It's a good point. We have had very good longevity with our guys. Matt McAuliffe just retired in a couple of years ago. He with us for 28 years, I think it was. Chris was with us for 29 or 30. Um, and some of our elders have been with us for, not all of them, but some of them have been with us for 20 years. <clears throat> and um, I think, not that we do everything right by any stretch of the imagination, we'll make as many mistakes as anybody does, mm -hmm. but I think that it helps if you do not use the business model. Mm. People live in their metaphors. And the metaphor for success in America is business. And uh, it helps to not use that model. Use the organic family model in your mind and see the church as a working farm 
that's there to produce fruit rather than Disneyland, which is there to attract customers. Mm-hmm. And re- focus on relationship with one another before you focus on the image you're projecting or the brand that you're projecting. There's a lot of talk about branding and there's a lot of talk about what's basically it's marketing. And that's a business model. And I find in the, in the Bible, the relational model is really where the long-term fruit comes from. And so I think focusing on the relational rather than the business success, mm-hmm. um, not focusing on the numbers of people that are there, but focusing on the health of the people who are there mm-hmm. from the staff all the way through. Yeah. Um, I think that is a way to keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I look at that as a 32-year-old pastor who is trying just now appointing elders and, and hiring staff and some of those things. And I'm thinking, man, I, I, I think it was something you said about Chris, and I think that was that you guys are friends. And I was like, that'd be great. If I could hire somebody and they'd work here for 30 years and then we're still friends. Yeah. That would be. And a, we still are good. That would be a supernatural friends, Even though thing. he lives in Portland. <laughs> yeah. Pretty cool. I think another <clears throat> thing too, though, Sam, is... In the body of Christ, biblically, you know, letting the Holy Spirit speak through the scriptures into our lives, the thing he speaks is the fruit of the Spirit. And it sounds like a cliche, um, but it one of the fruits of the Spirit <clears throat> or an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is patience. And a lot of lead people um, are not patient. They are, they're, they're driven and they're drivers. And they want, they have a quote vision that they're casting that I sometimes think got its motivation more from sociology, more from mm-hmm. success in business. If you don't have patience for the people you work with, if you're not willing to have wobble room for the mistakes other people make and to be patient with them as they grow, because we were all growing up together, my yeah. stars, and we're, right. we're a bunch of kids basically. Yeah. And, um, that retains long-term relationships, to have patience with other people, to be kind, you know, by God's grace, the best you can, to mm-hmm. be kind instead of always being right. Right. You know, that relational component in leadership, um, whether it's elders or staff or whatever. Yeah. Um, but see, what happens if you do that is that you, have, you see a lot of mistakes that other people make. You see it and you go, oh, that was a mistake. Now, some guys would say, oh, well, go get on that person's case. Go yell at them a little bit and make sure they do that, you know. And I just think that is not Christ-like. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think that's servant leadership. So I think it develops long-term relationships. When you focus on the relationships, have a lot of patience, uh, rather be kind than right, by, but at the same time, keeping the focus on spiritual growth. What happens is you lose fewer friends. Yeah. The years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people might be listening and going, okay, whatever. I don't work at a church, but in reality, these principles are, totally. they're true in every sphere, oh, particularly yeah. as Christians, because in our culture, we have a lot of turnover in every area, every, every area of our life. Mm-hmm. Like we are, uh, we are the unfriending culture. You know, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't like what you said, so I'm going to unfriend you. And, uh, long, longevity, I think is, is a beautiful thing for any, for, for any Christian organism or any Christian organization to say, mm-hmm. I'm going to choose to stick with you. And trust that you're going to grow, mm-hmm. um, I think is beautiful. So you get you get a lot of calls, uh, at least I'm assuming you do, 
you get a lot of calls from pastors in this area, maybe outside of this area, mm-hmm. that are struggling or their churches are struggling or they just feel like there's a barrier. Mm-hmm. I know some do because some have told me they call you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've seen over 40 years, you've seen churches come, you've seen churches go. Uh, you've probably seen hundreds of church plants and church ends mm-hmm. um, in Southern Oregon. So what are some of the things that guys often call you and say, this is just a hurdle or this is just a thing we can't get past? And uh, what do you say? And, and then, you know, what are, what are some of the things that can kill the church, you know? Um, that's a huge question, Sam. <laughs> There's probably <laughs> well, a, dozen, a dozen answers to that. Um, I get calls uh, about pretty much all the things you mentioned. And um, I, I would say I, one of the calls that I get fairly consistently is when a person who's been pastoring for three or four years feels um, a little bit burned out. And, uh, and they feel like their church has, quote-unquote, plateaued. Mm. And this causes anxiety to them. Mm-hmm. And um, what I try to do is undo all of that thinking. Do not think in terms of plateau. Don't think in terms of marketing. Don't think think in terms of sociology. Uh, evaluate your ministry based on spiritual evaluation. Is the health of the people there? Is the teaching continuing to grow? Now, as you answer those questions, the conversations I have with younger guys will take different tracks. And sometimes um, guys have not kept up on their own spiritual growth, their own education, their own growth, and that can contribute to a burnout. Sometimes they have situations in leadership where they have ungodly other leaders that are in their church that are essentially ungodly um, and are, and that, that requires a little bit of confrontation sometimes. So, you know, when you say, uh, what do I tell the guys? It depends on the question they're right. asking. Right. It's a lot more dangerous emotionally to start a church than people realize. Um, it, it, it's, um, it's very difficult emotionally for lead people starting churches. And so uh, the needs that come up usually have to do with that kind of my expectations for myself, my expectations for my church, um, the internal feelings of failure, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And so I, I recommend usually... The same thing I said at the beginning. Get back to the simplicity of teaching the word, mm-hmm. Christ-centered. Keep the main thing the main thing. Keep focusing on the spiritual fruit and not the other things. Minister to the people that are there, not the people that aren't there. And the other thing, too, that I recommend to young guys is get together with other young guys. We have a, a couple of different gatherings that we do that with. Mm-hmm. And uh, just so, to, so you get a little bit of uh, yeah. lateral support. Yeah. Yeah, it's lonely planting a church. It can it be, you know, especially I came from an environment where I was on staff with 10 or 11 other staff members and there were six full-time pastors and we we're collaborating on everything. Yeah. And then you move to a new place and all of a sudden it's just you. <clears throat> yep. And you're like, hey, we got a brainstorm. You're like, just in a room by no myself. Like, okay, yeah. me and my computer, you know, <laughs> type away. But I've really, I've really found a lot of life in, in meeting with other pastors and other church planners. Like there's a group of pastors I meet with every Thursday here and, uh, and they're all guys my age and a lot of them have planted churches and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's great. You yeah. know, it's, it's, yeah. it's helpful. <clears throat> Here's a question that I didn't tell you I was going to ask you. Okay. Uh, there goes my phone. Um, uh, so I, sometimes when I talk to pastors, I hear a lot of things like, well, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, 
but they're just not receiving it or they're just not growing or kind of a lot of they, a lot of they things. Yeah, like right. Sure. They just don't want to worship. They just don't want to evangelize. They, yep. they, 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 they. Yep. and, uh, and when do you know that the problem is the pastor? And when do you know that the problem is the sheep? Well, first of all, identifying the problem that way, I think is a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the mentality that says my, my, my people aren't doing what I want them to do is what I call sort of uh, NFL pastoring where you have a team and your, and your sense about the church is that you're building a team mm. and you don't say it this way, but you're really competing with the other teams in town. Right. Um, and, and you try to get the people to act in a certain way so that you can feel good about what you're doing. And I think that is actually the wrong metaphor. It's the wrong ethos in the mind of the lead guy. I think that what happens is when you hear pastors complaining about their church up like that, I, I say, okay, well, what does your teaching sound like? What's the ethos of the praise and the mm. worship and the prayer that goes on in your church? Is it aimed at shaping the church? You and I have talked about this, the topiary, mm-hmm. you know, topiary where you carve bushes to look like certain things. Or is it aimed at the real spiritual fruit for who these people are and letting them grow on their own, teaching them how to pray, teaching them how to worship? Yeah. Um, a lot of times we pastors, we look at the congregation and it's sort of like our team and it's a reflection on us. And we want them to do better, so we get upset with them. And whenever, whenever a pastor comes to me and he's mad at his church, or a big portion of his church, uh, I I say, do you do you love these people? Are they <laughs> are you uh, caring about their spiritual growth, or are you are you just upset because they're not being shaped yeah. the way you want, the way your vision has cast for them? So good, yeah, yeah. You know, I think when you come into something having a vision. And then you say, I want people to come help me accomplish my vision. Right. You're already on shaky ground, right? Because then you see yeah. people as, I mean, you need a vision, but you see people as being expendable um, and, and spendable people for yeah. your vision. And then if they don't do what you want to do, then you get mad at them. That's right. Um, a lot of times people ask me, like, as a church planner, well, what's your vision? I'm like, well, it doesn't really matter. I mean, there's things I might want to see happen. But at the end of the day, this is like, what is God doing and how do I just shepherd that? How do I, how do I kind of help form that? Vision statements sometimes can be a trap. Yeah. Um, Because it sounds great. But, you know, again, the whole concept of the vision, and we have a vision statement, helping people think like Jesus. It's a discipleship thing. But a lot of vision statements look like they've been modeled after vision statements from within the world and in the world of business. Mm -hmm. We're going to do this. We're going to change this. We're going to do that. And I think that you're better off to back up and say, no, what we're going to do is try to help people be mm-hmm. real disciples of Jesus mm-hmm. and, uh, and not these other visions that the pastor has for, right. you know, we all know stories of guys who have a big vision for a big church. Yeah. 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 Buckle up. Cause it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Right. Um, average church It'll in America is like you. 70 people. Yeah. And that's great. Seven. You could do a lot with 70 people, you know, you can have 70 healthy believers yeah. who can minister to one another right. and reach out in the name of Christ. Absolutely. Cause you're a pastor, you're a shepherd, right? That's what yeah. You're to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think one, one of the things we, uh, underestimate too, is just how long it takes for people to change. You know, I mean, I think a lot of guys are like, Oh, I've been here six months. I talked to 
pastors that revital, try to revitalize or they come into oh, an existing yeah. church mm-hmm. and they get frustrated. You know, I've been here six months and they're still not. I'm like, talk to me five years. I mean, it five takes years. a long time to really stitch uh, right biblical thinking. You know, this, this might sound demeaning because I'm not saying people are like dogs, but we just got a puppy. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, this puppy, like, she's a sweetheart. She's really smart. But she, she, her entire existence has been in a kennel with six other puppies oh. where she can pee wherever she wants and bite them and jump right. on them and everything. And, and she comes into this whole new world where she has to think now in human rules. Mm-hmm. You can't pee on the floor. You can't bite my kids. You know, you can't poop in the bedroom. <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm like, and it's been a week and I'm like finding myself a little frustrated. Like, come on, you're peeing on the floor still. You know? At your age. Like, well, for oh. crying out loud, she doesn't know. You know, right. we're, we're talking about training people to do things that are completely unnatural to their flesh. Yeah. And it takes a long time. It takes, think about how long it's taken me. And I'm still so immature and so many, I mean, God's just so patient with us, true. you know. It's true. That's why it gets back to that patience piece. You know, this is a working farm. It's not Disneyland. It's not a football team. Yeah. Uh, it's a family. And there's always some mess. And there's always somebody that you have to be patient with. And there's always somebody where the mature believers kind of go, well, that's just the way she is. Right. But we still love her. And, yeah. you know, just not expecting people to grow super fast and you mentioned that five years i tell young young guys who are starting churches um barring other problems that might occur you will start having influence in three to five years Mm -hmm. so be patient be patient be persistent be consistent yeah um yeah, it's true. I mean, that relational equity, that's what, that was the terrifying thing about leaving a church. I had six years of relational equity at right. and then coming and starting over. Right. It's right. like, man, I'm giving, I'm giving up all that. And as a pastor, you're only, you're only a pastor if someone treats you like their pastor. That's right. You know, you can't just say, Hey, I'm the pastor. So, it's, no. you know, like you got to earn that. Right. I remember that saying, he who leadeth and no one followeth only taketh a walk. <laughs> that's great. And there's a lot of spiritual yeah. guys just walking. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think, well, we're just overanalyzing this maybe, but I think a, a lot of the guys I talk to that are frustrated with church planning, they came out of large churches mm-hmm. where they never actually had to interact with sheep. Like their job <laughs> no, they was were administrating. They yeah, were, yeah. Their job was to run the social media or something yep. or, yep. or to, to yep. do, you know, to teach from the stage. And, and then you actually are in a group of 60 people where you're incredibly exposed and your whole life is intermingled with these people. Mm-hmm. And you, don't, and, and you're used to having this wall of a stage in front of you mm-hmm. where people don't really know you. Mm-hmm. And it can be hard. You know, it's been probably the most healthy thing in my life planting a church because it's forced me to be not only leading a church, but be part of a church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't hide. No, right. These people no. know me. They know no. my life, right? right? They, they know everything about me. And it's, it's a beautiful thing actually. Yeah. Yeah. And there's this huge difference between operating within an existing organizational structure and then having that that versus the entirely organic Mm -hmm. sense in which a brand new church starts there's really no organizational structure Mm -hmm. it is all organic it's all relational and that is what i would refer to as raw pastoring that is Mm -hmm. straight pastoring Mm -hmm. when uh, you are dealing with just a handful of people a couple of them are brand new christians and maybe all of them are Mm-hmm. Um, very different than working in a large organization where you trust, you can maybe trust the organization around you and all the other people. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to talk about exposition. Um, and I, that this, one of the, one of the treasure troves that you are Rick to me and to so many others is that you have taught the whole Bible. 
Mm-hmm. And it's all free online. That's uh, great. You know, there's very few people that I think um, have actually really taught the whole Bible. I haven't, right? Uh, it takes a lot of time, right? And you, you guys are committed out there to teaching through books of the Bible mm-hmm. and teaching all of the Bible um, and in doing it in a Christ-centered way. Um, and exposition for those listening, you know, is, is actually getting the meaning of the text and exposing the meaning of the text as opposed to a topical teaching, which is, I have an idea and here's a verse to support it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're committed to biblical exposition. You're committed to teaching people mm-hmm. biblical exposition. Um, my question would be, uh, how has biblical exposition served your church? And what are some of the deficits that come when you don't teach that that way uh, as opposed to just working through the scriptures? Well, I think the way it served the church is that it has given long-term stability because um, people learn the Bible not just by what a pastor says, but by how he treats the text when he's opening the text for other people. And I learned this from uh, Chuck Swindoll mm-hmm. and from Chuck Smith. I worked for Chuck Smith, and we went to Swindoll's church before he was famous back in the day. Mm-hmm. And um, these two men were distanced. Well, I worked for Smith, but... Uh, Swindoll is sort of a distance mentor to me about that because that was the first time I was in a church where he would open it, explain the scriptures, and then apply them. I mean, read it verse by verse, explain yeah. it. And it was just life-giving, you know. Um, and Chuck Smith, where I served as a pastor for some time, uh, three years, better part of three years, and went to church there for several years. He is the one who basically turned a whole generation of us onto the idea that, look, if you just read from one end to the other of the Bible (laughs) and read it to your people, (laughs) just imagine, just read it to your people, apply it as you go along, don't worry about sermonizing all the time, explain the text. These... um, were formative for me because that was how I grew. I began to grow spiritually. And the reason now I know is because the Holy Spirit uses the scriptures, the whole scripture. Um, It's funny because it's an odd thing. The the Spirit doesn't use the pastor. He uses the word of God, and the pastor is supposed to convey that. Amen. And uh, a lot of guys get real visionary about their own gifts. Mm -hmm. But it's better to be visionary about what God's word can do in the life of a genuine believer. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Yeah. Which means, and those are the people we're there for. Mm. And so um, I'm committed to teaching from one end of the Bible to the other generally. And I, on Sundays, we'll take a whole book, either in the New Testament or the Old Testament, and just go verse by verse through it. And they're long series. But I don't care. The point is to absorb the word. Right. And then on Wednesdays, although now we have a preaching team, a really good preaching team, for years I was the only guy that did the teachings. And on Wednesdays we would do something in the Old Testament, Sunday morning, something in the New Testament. Then we would swap it. I'd be doing something in the New Testament on Wednesday nights, something in the Old Testament on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. So commitment to the full i think that's commitment to the full counsel of god i don't believe the full counsel of god is in the mind of a pastor i think that the full counsel of god is in the word of god so good write that down if you're listening and the pastor (laughs) his job is to convey the gospel from one end of the bible to the other and show the people Mm. this is one story that god has given us and it's really about jesus right yeah, I mean, because the power, actually, according to Romans, the power is the gospel. Of course. But the gospel is in the whole of Scripture. You know? Absolutely. And, and uh, it's more powerful than we are. It's more powerful than yes. the church. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things I love about biblical exposition is it, it endears the listener to the word rather than the man or the person, right? Absolutely. It, it's the power. People are recognizing, oh, I love what you're saying, but it's not you. It's the word, and I can go get that for myself. That's what they should be able to say. Yes. Right. And if and when people are like, well, I'm going to save that sermon because I really want to reference that, I feel like I've lost. <laughs> like, I'd rather people say, you know, well, man, that I can't wait to read that passage again, or I'm always going to remember yeah. what that yeah. passage says. Yeah. Uh, Even and, if they go back to the sermon and and be, but it's because they're listening for the voice of Christ. See that right. the voice of the Lord to the people of the Lord is really what a pastor is about, if you think about it. And mm-hmm. Jesus said, "My sheep do hear my voice." Mm-hmm. So, and that may be a smaller number in a larger crowd. I don't know how many people on a Sunday morning are really there to hear, hear the voice of Christ, but I'll tell you this: the ones that are really there to hear the voice of Christ, those are the ones I want to talk to. Yeah. And everyone else is overhearing the conversation. Yeah. And so the word of God is really what they're hungry for. The Christ-centered message of the whole Bible is what they're really there for. Yeah, amen. Yeah, that's that's so good. Um, you said something before we were rolling, and I, this is what happens when you you know, start a conversation before you're recording. It was really good. I was just, I was just commenting on how your style is that you always start in the gospels in your sermon. You always kind of have an introduction in the gospels and then you go to whatever passage you're teaching. Right. Uh, sp- speak to that. And why do you do that a little bit? And what's the point of yeah, that? Yeah, there's a reason I do that. And it's not a hundred percent of the time. Like right now we're teaching. Um, you're in the gospel, in the gospel of John <laughs> right now. So you don't have to worry about whether or not you're going to talk about Jesus. Right. Um, but when you say, like, for instance, we're going to do a series in the book of Judges some, sometime in the next year. Um, if you're going to teach something from the Old Testament and you can't introduce... So the, the pastor has already done the exposition of the passage, right? He should have outlined it. Right. He should have the exegetical outline, maybe some of the homiletics in his mind, what he, what he believes needs to be said. Um, if he can't introduce that sermon or that Bible study with something Jesus said or did or something from the gospel itself, the gospel message itself. If you can't Mm -hmm. introduce the exposition with something about Jesus, then you need to ask, is this a Christian sermon? Because there is such a thing as a, as a, ah, Christian sermon where you're using the Bible. And I do mean using it. People use the Bible. And they don't let the Bible use them. They use it. Yeah. Um, I was at a service one time years ago at a church that I know is a good church, actually. It's a good church. I know the pastor is a good pastor. He didn't mean to do this. <laughs> and I'm not going to name him or the church or anything, but it's, it's a long time ago in a different part of the state. But he did a whole sermon in which Jesus was not mentioned once. In fact, in the entire service, which took an hour and a quarter there's on, there was one chorus that they sang. They sang uh, several good hymns and a couple of choruses. One chorus mentioned Jesus. Mm. Nothing in the sermon referenced Christ. Mm. It was what uh, one other mentor calls a synagogue sermon. A synagogue sermon is a sermon that would work very well in a synagogue. You didn't say anything about Jesus. You quoted the Bible a lot, and you said the truth about God right. in a generic way. Right. Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh my, we can't do that. Yeah. Because um, there's no power in it. No. Sinclair Ferguson wrote a terrific paper. It's available from the Procula- Proclamation Trust, Proc Trust, in the UK. 
It's called, I think it's called Preaching Christ from the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And his thesis was most preachers don't preach Christ from the Old Testament or from the New Testament. He said most of them draw a thought and then want to develop it in the Bible. Yep, totally. Yeah, so that's why I start, if I can, start with something from Jesus and end with something from Mm -hmm. Jesus. And if you can't make the passage that you're working with fit into that paradigm, then rework it and see. Mm So good. Yeah, one of the questions I ask myself <clears throat> in my sermon preparation is, it is so, so what's the good news? Amen. And if the answer is anything other than the gospel, then it's not a powerful sermon. And I could preach it, but it's not going to transform anybody. And you and I both know, because we preach every week, mm-hmm. there's a moment in the sermon where the Holy Spirit tangibly yes. starts yeah. to take over. And that's One hopes. Almost exclusively. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, and that's almost exclusively for me when I start to preach Jesus. Yeah. And it's when I start to preach the gospel. I can feel the Holy Spirit starts to take over. And he's like, I can get behind this because that's the Holy Spirit's ministry is to glorify Christ. That's right. Rick, I want to talk about discipleship. Discipleship is like this word that we all are familiar with. And any church that's worth its salt has the word discipleship somewhere in its mission because that was the great commission. But let's be honest. Most churches are not really thinking about making disciples. Most churches aren't even sure what that means. And a lot of times when we think about making disciples, we don't even know what that looks like. How do we know when we made a disciple? How do we know if we're making a disciple? How do we know when we made one or, or, or whatever, you know? And so I want to talk about that. How should we think about about disciple making the process what does that look like uh what should that look like what are some thoughts maybe that you have on it's, that because that's the whole deal for us like well of course and it's a huge topic um i think that one of the things i recommend is that we think through the difference between the programs of discipleship and the and the actual way the holy spirit helps people think like jesus discipleship is essentially learning to feel and think like Jesus Christ, okay? With his wisdom permeating our minds by the power of the Spirit, and that comes through the Word, through the Scriptures. So the Scriptures, empowered by the Spirit, focusing on the Lordship of Christ, changing the character, and therefore from changed character, the actions of believers. That's actually what discipleship is. It's learning to think and feel like Jesus. From the moment you have come into the kingdom, that gospel wisdom continues, ideally, this is what it should do, the gospel wisdom through the scriptures continues to shape your character so that as the years go by, the fruit of the Spirit is more evident in you. It's not um, simply completing an academic program called the discipleship program, okay? I mean, we've seen bazillions of these, and they're fine, you know, they're great. But don't think you've been discipled because you took six weeks of discipleship, right? quote-unquote discipleship. Discipleship happens in your home, in your marriage, in your business, and where you're being challenged ethically, morally, spiritually, and you learn to grow in wisdom, the skill of thinking like the Lord Jesus in all these environments. So when you ask me that question as a pastor, that's what I look for among people. Not have they completed a a program of discipleship, but are they taking in the word in sufficient, useful measure? You can take in too much sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sounds weird, but you can get, it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. You can get more on you than in you sometimes. Are they taking the word in a way that actually you see their character begin to change? 
Now, where you find that is in grassroots pastoring. So you preach on Sunday, you teach the word, and then during the week, you find about all the wreckage in people's lives. Mm-hmm. And it's at that point where you get to say, all right, what's the Lord doing in your life through this? Right. That is actually how discipleship works, and it is a messy process. You can't measure it. In business, there's a thing that says what gets measured gets done. I tell you, if you apply that to the church, you're going to fry your brain as a pastor. <laughs> you can't measure spiritual growth, but yeah. you can observe it. Right. And you look for it in the fruit among the people, and you assume not of, they're not as mature as they think they are. But if you know what you're looking for in the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, and you're teaching the Word and praying for them and teaching them to pray, that discipleship will take place. So some churches do good discipleship without a program, and other churches use programs effectively. But then there's some churches who buy programs and let them run by themselves while they pay attention to marketing. Yeah. That last one is not the one I recommend. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's, and it's such a balance, right? Because the feeling of saying, well, we're not going to do something measurable or intentional feels wrong. Intentional, yes. Measurable, no. Right. Well, to say like, well, because people ask you, you know, they want to say, well, what's your, what's your plan? Right. For discipleship. And it's, and, it, and they expect you to have like a, a laid out kind of linear, yeah, sure. like we're going to do this and we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. We're going to plan our work and work our plan. You're going to come to this class. And then you're going to graduate to Mm -hmm. that class. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to come to this thing. Mm -hmm. And that's not all bad. No, it's not all bad. I I think it's interesting when I think about discipleship, that Jesus, of course, is their model for how Mm -hmm. to make disciples. And he actually left before the real fruit started. And that's kind of how it usually works. (laughs) You know, like you sow into people and you sow into people and then they leave and you never see the fruit. And, but that, but there's still fruit, you know, Uh, Jesus wasn't concerned about, I mean, obviously he he stayed in the fact that the spirit was there and that he's ascended sure. to the right hand of the father. But at the same time, a lot of times the people I've sowed into the most went off and, and blessed some other church with that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I that's know, just like, the way it works. Hey, you know, like what this, about our team, you yeah, know? this idea that you're going to pour into people and they're going to benefit your organization because you poured into them. is just not real. See, life. That's the emphasis on the organization instead of the emphasis on the spiritual growth of the right. people and a church can, you asked about phases in churches. Very often churches will start off saying we're interested in spiritual growth. Then they start growing because they are interested in spiritual growth and they're preaching the gospel and they're doing baptisms and they're discipling people and they start growing and pretty soon they start thinking about themselves. Oh, well, we're a church and now we're well known or moderately. Oh, and now we've got an image and now we've got a brand. And And pretty soon the shift from discipleship to the organizational thing which is why ecclesiology is second to missiology and soteriology. Ecclesiology, the study of the church, how the church works. Um, There are some churches that have great ecclesiology on paper and they haven't baptized anybody in 20 years. And there's other churches that have a pretty messy ecclesiology. It's like they don't exactly know exactly about the bylaws and yet they're they're really preaching the gospel and the life yeah. It's actually happening. It's so funny you say that. I'm after this. As soon as we get done with this podcast, I'm going to spend four hours in a room with my elders talking about bylaws because we realize <laughs> that you know we don't really have very good bylaws. And so, and I was sitting here last night thinking about bylaws and reading some examples, and I'm like, you know what? These bylaws will do nothing to save anyone, oh. but what they do is they support. That's right. The they create they the, create the box yes. that something can grow, and they create the planter, and it's that trellis and vine thing. And you, you do know? need them. You do need them if yeah. you if all your ministry is is a trellis 
but there's no vine, then you're, something's wrong. And if your ministry is just a big vine and there's no trellis, then it has nothing to grow That's on. That's a great way to put it. I'm learning because I'm not administratively wired, mm-hmm. but I'm learning that administration is loving. Oh, yeah. And if, if you're not administrative to some degree, you're unloving because yeah. then you leave people hanging and, and there's no support for them, right? No, don't get me wrong. Administration is needed, a good set of bylaws. We've written, rewritten our bylaws probably three times in yeah. the history of our church and expanded them. And because, but form follows function. The life of the church is the, the, is the teaching of the word and the body life and, all, and the mission. But that structure is needed. Otherwise, it gets right. real amorphous. Yep. And there needs to be this totally help. Yeah. yeah. No, it's good. Uh, let me start to, start to land the plane here a little bit. Uh, I have a question, actually, that I've never been able to get a very good answer on. And so I'm hoping that maybe you can give me a good one. No guarantees. Uh, we, we love starting churches in evangelicalism, especially now. It's kind of a thing. Yeah. And, uh, and we love revitalizing churches. It's kind of a thing. Uh, we love just seeing churches do well. Yeah. When should a church die? And, and, and mm-hmm. should a church die? Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of churches in Southern Oregon that mm-hmm. seem to be dying mm-hmm. or yeah. have, or maybe should die. That's and, always the truth. But yeah. it feels wrong to say that. It feels kind of icky to say like, hey, maybe you should die. And we're not talking about Christians falling away from Christ. We're not talking, we're talking about a building maybe being deeded to someone else and right. 10 people going somewhere else. Right. But when do you kind of know? Uh, and should we actually, should we actually plan for death at some point in a church life? Because we're talking about cycles and seasons of churches here. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Well, I don't think you should plan for the death of a church. <laughs> That's going to be the, the Holy Spirit's job. Yeah. Um, you should plan to continue the revitalization of a church from the beginning. People say, we need to pray for revival. And we do. Uh, I'm in favor of praying for revival, don't get me wrong. However, a pastor's job is to see to it that revival isn't actually needed. See, revival happens when somebody is almost dead and you have to revive them. A pastor's job is to keep people alive in the first place. Mm. So they don't have to be constantly revived. So I don't think you need to, even though statistically you can say, well, churches have these seasons and some of them die. Um, and, and some of them then are resurrected and revived. That's all the Holy Spirit's work that he mm-hmm. does. I would say in answer to your question about when should a church die, when the leadership of the church is so unspiritual and, and or so unbiblical that the Lord is being misrepresented in that environment, that church will die, actually, eventually. Or it'll change into a club. A lot of churches are Christian clubs that meet on Sunday. Um, but a living church is alive because they focus on the gospel. Churches that don't focus on the gospel, don't stay in the word, don't continue the struggle forward in a dark world of proclaiming the gospel... Um, they will go through a death process. And a lot of times a young church that is proclaiming the gospel will come in and pick up one of those buildings. But the building is nothing. And the other thing, in fact, I know of several churches that took, came in and inhabited large buildings from big, dead, liberal yeah. churches because mm-hmm. the liberal churches died. They, they stopped did. teaching the yeah, word. They died. So it should die if it's not preaching the word anymore. And it can be revived if a group comes in that says, we want to worship and pray and teach the word, and the gospel's the center. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to remember that the body of Christ itself doesn't die. Right. Totally. The Christians, the genuine believers in a, quote, dead church, they will find 
another yeah another place. Yeah, and part of our story, you know, is I think maybe six months into starting, mm-hmm. and we're kind of all these young uh, families and um, just trying to get going, trying to get some traction. There was a church here in Grants Pass that was feeling like maybe they were coming to an end of a season. Mm. Uh, I wish they had a big building. They didn't, but um, <laughs> but what they did have is they had this incredibly healthy little group of people that loved the Lord and were mature. Mm-hmm. And they came over and they uh-huh. just all said, "We're going to close our doors. And we're going to come to Philippi." And so about twenty people, and they've been an immense blessing to our church. In fact, they've come become some of our most core leaders because they mature were mature. Yeah. And it wasn't that they weren't preaching the gospel. It wasn't that they weren't doing the right things. Uh, it just seemed like the Lord was bringing that to an end. But I, I, I kind of wish more churches would think that way. Like, man, if we took these 20 folks, you know, um, right. that, that know to serve, know to give, know to love each other, know, know the gospel, know the word and, and, and planted them into a newer congregation that needed to be discipled or needed that. It's a great, yeah. Yeah. How healthy, you know? That would be, well, it was healthy, but yeah. see, that was the Lord doing that. I right. I don't know that we can strategize that. Right. I think that um, discernment is more important than decisiveness or design. Mm-hmm. Discern, in other words, Lord, what shall we do? So that group, that small group said, what shall we do? We, we feel like maybe this, the lifespan of this particular gathering that we are having here um, needs to move. And we see this living thing happening over here at Philippi. We connect with it. But see, that's the Lord planning that right. kind of thing. Yeah, I didn't call him. No, right. and, yeah. and, and I think that being open to how the Lord works and having a broad perspective on the body of Christ and how God moves the churches around, and sometimes for sure he'll let one yeah. either explode right. or dissipate mm-hmm. so that he can use the people in other ways. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly good. Yeah. Well, um, maybe one more question about church planting. So we're, we're kind of, in, in, and again, this is like telling God your plans, and, and we'll see what he wants to right, do. Right, right. Our, our hope <clears throat> is to be a church planting church. Okay. Our hope is to not grow in such a way that we just see if we can collect as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, our church, our hope would be to be a church that starts new churches and as soon as possible, sure. uh, as soon as it's it's healthy and realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, now, and you guys planted a church. You guys mm-hmm. planted Rogue Valley Fellowship, mm-hmm. uh, which has gone through you know a lot of different seasons and things, yep. and and almost was replanted in a sense, really. With it sort of was, um, yeah. Talk a little bit about what that looked like for you guys to give birth, and uh, are you going to do ever do it again? And do you think churches should be planting churches? If so, what does that look like? Yeah, I think churches should be planting churches. Our, our church is in a rural environment. Um, and we're not going to plant a church, you know, two blocks away. Right. In a metro environment where you have really tons and tons of people, um, you can plant churches as long as, you know, you're alive. Just keep planting churches. Because actually... Uh, a church plant is a really healthy way for the body of Christ to grow. On the other hand, um, again, it may be just that I'm a little bit allergic to programming, but the strategy itself needs to be kept on the altar at all times. Mm -hmm. And you can't plant a church until you have a really mature church yourself. Mm -hmm. You can't just say, well, we're going to go plant more churches if you if you're going to plant them with people who aren't mature enough to do it in the first place so the idea of wanting to become a church planting church is admirable and good and i think very biblical but when you start from scratch you want to give yourself plenty of time to develop a mature body yourself and then see 
is there a need for another church? Yeah. Do we have a group of people who we can send off to do that? Now, those are providential kinds of things where you're discerning it at the time rather than saying, hey, we've been here three or four years now. We need to go and start another church. <laughs> well, not necessarily. Yeah. You see, if the Lord opens the door, keep praying for that to take place and wait until it's ripe. Wait until there's enough maturity that you can sense oh yeah and there's a need over there in that right. other community right yeah we'll send this group over there mm -hmm. so i guess i would just say be careful with strategizing and keep the strategies open to the to the guidance of the spirit yeah. seeking to discern right while still keeping your mind on that all yeah. long-term goal yeah that's good that's good wisdom one last question what what advice would you give us as a, as a young, because this is probably my audience is going to be Philippi, you know, what, sure. what, what advice would you give us as a church family, a church body, um, coming into our third year here, mm -hmm. uh, what would, what would be some, some, I don't know, just some wisdom, uh, as we press into life together yeah. for us? Yeah. Um, think more about the Lord, the mission and your relational growth with one another and internally than you do about the church itself. Don't become self-conscious as a church. Even though your identity will grow and other people will begin to see you as an entity within the community, don't be absorbed with your image in the community. Keep the main thing the main thing. We want to learn to think like Christ. We want to keep the mission in front of us. Um, and we want to have a relationality in our church that is healthy and loving. Um, there's always some difficulties. There's always some hurt. You know, it's a farm, not Disneyland. I yep. get it. Um, but I would, I would say that there's a stage in a young church where you suddenly become an entity that other people are talking about. That's a dangerous stage for the church because then it begins to think about itself. Mm. Um, but a wise church thinks about the Lord all the way through. Mm. It's, we, got, we came here because of the Lord. We are here because of the Lord. The gospel is where the power is, yep. not the church. The church has the gospel. And I, that's what I'd recommend. And what'll happen is you'll have probably slower, more steady, more healthy growth rather than in some cases explosive growth that's relatively shallow and right. mostly sociological. Right. Um, long-term exposition, long-term discipleship, healthy relationships in the body and not worrying too much about your reputation yeah. Except to have a good reputation, you know what I mean. You'd, so should I fire the PR guy? Just fire. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> if only I could afford a PR guy. Yeah, right. Rick, how can we pray for you? And you're coming into a season of transition. Yeah. And yeah, what, if, our, if we could get our church body praying for you, what would that look like? That's very kind of you to do. And you can pray for me that my identity is able to shift. Mm. Yeah. After 41 years. Actually, I've been a pastor for close to 45 years. Mm. And um, a pastor here for 41, going on 42. And I intend to continue uh, living here in the Valley and teaching at Pacific Bible College and doing more of the education toward young, uh, young leaders. Yeah. And so I, I need prayer for that. I, yeah. I need prayer for direction about those things <clears throat> and that the Lord would show me the next uh, chapter. Right. You know. Okay. 
yeah, I can imagine that would be a an amazing thing <laughs> after so deal. many years of doing one thing to yeah. to sort of switch it up a little yeah. bit. But I know I'm excited to uh, to benefit from some of the time you'll have more freed up to work with pastors such as myself and yeah. others and continue to be, you know, there's not a lot of good mentors out there right now. Uh, there's a lot of good examples, uh, to be honest. They're falling, they're, they're falling like flies out there. Yeah. So I thank you for, for what you do. And let me pray for you and uh, thank you. we'll close it out. Father, thank you so much for, for Rick, for Trail. Lord, for the work that you've done, um, just the testimony of grace at Trail for 40 years, God, in how the gospel can transform and does transform lives. Lord, we thank you for Philippi Church. We thank you for the yes, fact Lord. that, Holy Spirit, you're the one working, and Lord, that we are just along for the ride. Uh, I pray for my brother here, Lord. Uh, I just pray that you would give him that deep sense of identity yes, in uh, who he is as he transitions into a new role. And Lord, I pray that he would just find his riches and his worth in you and in the gospel and the name that you've given him. Uh, Lord, thank you for who he is and all that he does. And uh, just bless us, Father, as we, we follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Sam. All right. It's good to be here. here.